You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and this week I'm talking to Diane Blazek, Executive Director of All America Selections. Welcome, Diane. Well, good morning, and thank you. Are you freezing up there in Chicago? It's a tad bit chilly, yes, but uh, we had such a warm first half of November that we knew it was coming. How much snow did you get? We got like four or five inches in the western suburbs. You know, if you go south, it was less. If you go north and closer to the lake, it was a lot more. But um, it's enough to cover the grass, and it's very pretty as it's sticking on the trees. But uh, I think by Thanksgiving it will warm up, and most of it will be melted. Yeah, so you'll have a slushy Thanksgiving day then. Exactly. (laughs) You know, you you get what you get, don't you? Right, right, and you live with it. Some of our listeners may not be familiar with All America Selections. Can you tell us about it? Oh, sure. It's um, it's actually a very old organization. was started in 1932, and basically we are an independent organization that tests, trials, new varieties of flowers and plants, and then the ones that perform very well um, for garden performance are deemed All-America Selections winners, and so we market them under the brand of All-America Selections. Now, you said they're all, it's, you're independent, so people can't pay you to promote their seed, can they? Exactly. There is a fee to enter, but that just basically covers our expenses of, you know, processing the trials and sending the seed out. Um, But what's really interesting, I think, is that all this is done anonymously. So when we get these entries and send them out to our judges, there's not a breeder or company name affiliated with each entry. It's done blindly. We just give it a trial number. And, uh, you know, the judges try to guess which breeding company it's from, but I love it because we fool people all the time. So it's really <laughs> fun. You know, it's like, oh, we, we, we got one over on you, and you thought it was this company, but it's this company instead. Well, that's funny. Now, who, how do they decide what plant is a winner? It's completely a mathematical equation. So each judge, you know, gets their entries and gets the comparison. So it's not just judged on its own merit. We have a comparison committee that decides which variety is currently on the market that most resembles this entry based on the description the breeder has provided. So, for example, like right now, we have some sweet corn in our entries for next year. So, you know, is it earlier? Does it have more ears per stalk? And is it sweeter? And and all these different things. So the comparison committee selects the variety that it's grown next to. So the judge says, well, you know, I've grown this one for years and years, and I've eaten it, and, you know, this new variety, well, it didn't produce, or it succumbed to disease, or it didn't taste as good, it didn't produce as much. All those types of things are what the judges um, base their evaluation and score on. Then the score comes back to our office, and it's all put into an Excel spreadsheet, and it's a mathematical equation. If it scores high enough, then it becomes an AES winner. 
And who are these judges? Where do they come from? Oh, all over. We have more than 85 judges all across North America and a wide variety of backgrounds and expertise. We may have uh, an academic, a horticulture professor. We may have a breeder, could be a vegetable breeder, flower breeder. We may have the flower seed buyer for a mail-order seed company. We may have a trial manager at a public garden. So, by and far, you know, their profession is horticulture, their education is horticulture, they've been in the industry long enough, they have trialing experience, and they go through a vetting process with our um, combined judges committee and our board of directors, and that's what it takes to become an AAS trial judge. Now, are they trialing in their own location, or are they also going and judging in some other locations? They grow and judge only on their location. Um, that's important to us because we want them to really let us know how it does in their geographic area. We have enough judges where it's it's spread out and we have multiple judges in each region. So, yes, they are judging only on their garden's um, variety performance. So if I grow something that does well, say, in Athens, Georgia, at the trial gardens there, chances are it's going to do really well for me. Exactly, yes. And you've added something new in the last couple of years, haven't you, the regional award winners? Yes, that's actually one of several things that we've done new. But, um, yeah, the, the, and I think my perfect example of what made us realize we needed to recognize regional performance was we had an okra one year, and it did not become a national winner because it did really well in the southeast and, you know, a little bit of expanded areas from that. But, you know, maybe in northern Canada or, you know, maybe the Pacific Northwest, it didn't do as well. And we just, you know, kind of slapped our forehead and said, well, duh, there's a reason why there's regional cuisine differences because edible crops certainly do well in some areas and not as well in other areas. So we decided to start looking first at national performance, which is what we've always done, and if a variety did not become a national winner, then we broke it down and looked at how it did in each region. So we have to, you know, make sure we have a certain number of scores in that region, and if we have enough judges, enough scores, and it scores high enough, then we name it a regional winner. So this poor little okra that was wonderful in the South, it'll never get publicized as an AAS winner. Well, unless that breeder decides, you know, if they haven't introduced it to the market, they could still re-enter it. And the year that we decided to do this, we did go back in time for three years. And so we went back and talked to the breeders who had entered some things and I'm trying to think what years it was, like 2010, 11, and 12, and said, you know, this entry didn't become a national winner, but it was a winner in the southeast and the northeast. Do you want to introduce it as a national winner? So we actually did, the first time we um, announced regional winners, we did have some older varieties that had not been brought to market, but then they were because they were AAS regional winners. Okay, so, but... Can can we find out what this wonderful okra was, for example? I can 
find I think I can find out I, it's going to have to take a call because I'd have to go back to the breeder and say did you introduce it to the market um, because some some breeders took the regional awards some didn't you know it was their choice but I I can go out back and find out I'll have to email you later <laughs> that would be fun and I'll just put it up on our website yeah there you because- go because I really like the idea of things adapted for the South. Like, for example, um, next year I will know to grow salad more cucumber instead of pick a bushel, because pick a bushel was a Midwest and Great Lakes winner last year, and and it really didn't like it here. It says it's yeah. heat tolerant, but it's it wasn't tolerant of our heat and not in the yeah. driveway where we're in full sun and when the ambient temperature was in the nineties and then you all the reflected heat. But I but salad the salad more probably would, um, just like that great cucumber from the past, straight eight. Straight eight, yeah, yeah. That's in fact, it's um, it's on our website right now. Straight eight is because every once in a while we go back and highlight our gold medal winners. You know, the gold medals are considered breeding breakthroughs, and straight eight is one of those that is still available. It was a winner in 1935. So you talk about long longevity. That that straight eight has it for sure, and the fact that people are still growing it and liking it and finding it suitable, it speaks an awful lot to that breeding. Yes, it really does, yeah. I grew it up uh, north in New Jersey, and I'm pretty sure my mother had it in our garden in Illinois. And I've grown it when I came down here. I was so surprised that it was in, you know, in all the bulk bins and all the little feed stores, So, mm-hmm. which would yeah. show how popular it was among the local farmers, too. So right, that's, right. A, that's a really cool thing. Now, I've noticed something else on your website that um, that I want to talk about, but we've got about three minutes, three and a half minutes in this segment. So let's talk about um, how the how you judge these because you've se- separated out now between the flowers. Um, you've got flowers from seed, flowers from cuttings. Um, and vegetables. And have your perennials come out yet, or are they still in the trial? Oh, that's a great question. Um, our perennials, this is the first year we've accepted perennial entries. And the time frame for All America Selections is we accept the entries, then send them out to the judges, and we'll be doing that over the next, like, two to three months. And then a perennial is going to have a three-winter trial because we want to make sure that we've got survivability statistics so our first perennial winners will not be around until 2019. So we're in this for the long haul, obviously. <laughs> um, but, yeah, perennials is a new category for us, and we are starting to trial them during the summer of 2016. And I am so delighted that you're going to be doing that because – I remember we've had some fantastic plants that were supposed to be cold hardy down to down to zero, and you bring them here, and well, no, they're not because we have wet and cold winters, and it's hardy down to zero in dry and cold winters, and that yeah. makes such a big difference. It really does. That was a lot of discussion. We had a task force that was trying to decide, you know, all the details about this perennial trial, and it was it was it was quite a hurdle to overcome to figure out all this, but survivability is definitely the key. And we said, well, what if something doesn't survive, you know, in this area versus that area? 
You know, we just we have to account for all that in that equation when we're determining at the end is this going to be an AAS winner. And are you going to divide those by regions too, or is it all going to be just across the country and into Canada? We will have the regional winners also. We're also going to have to provide notations on, you know, to what zone hardy. So we'll be accounting for all of that when we collect all of our data. That's wonderful. Because, you know, as you know, we, um, you can't just rely on winter, you know, minimum winter lows or even summer highs because there's so much variability around the country. Yeah, and variability in the soil, you know, a compact soil versus a sandy soil. You know, all that is takes takes into account survivability. When I first moved down south, I was just appalled by what they call soil here. Um, it's you know, there was a brick factory up the road from us um, not too long ago, so that that made a big difference because I was using used to rocky and sandy in the in the northeast, and we had wonderful. We must have had five feet of topsoil in the Midwest in Illinois. Yeah. So that made a yeah. huge, huge difference. When very, we come back, I want I want to talk to you about the 2016 winners because I bet you all our listeners are anxious to know what won this year so they can run out and get it and plant it. And these will be coming into their garden centers in the spring, won't they? Exactly. They will be available. The ones we'll talk about will be available for this, the 2016 garden. Okay. We need to take a quick break here, but I want to remind you you're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show, and we'll be back talking more gardening right after this. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pulis, and my guest today is Diane Blazik, Executive Director of All America Selections, and she's going to tell us who the winners were this year. I feel like we need a drum roll, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, why don't we talk about something else that's new, and that is our vegetative trial. We talked about perennials in the last segment. And we talked about regional winners, but in between, in the timeline of the last uh, five years with All America Selections, we also started trialing um, ornamentals that are propagated from vegetative cuttings. And so in 2015, we had our first two winners, which were both impatiens. We had one that was a bounce impatien and one that was a sun patient. So now for 2016, our second to vegetative winners, and I don't want anybody to think we're only doing two per year. It just so happened that we had two winners this year. And these are both geraniums. So, you know, typically if a geranium is grown from seed, it might might be smaller. That's not always the case because there's some wonderful seed varieties out there now. Um, but these two are called brocade When I think of brocade, I think of the beautiful lush fabrics and beautiful patterns in those Mm -hmm. fabrics. That's exactly what these two are. One is called cherry night. So cherry refers to the flower color, which is just a bright cherry red. Night Mm -hmm. refers to the leaves, which are a really dark, 
I guess I can call them purplish, very, very oh, striking cool. foliage with just the tiny edge on that geranium leaf that's green. So that one's very interesting. And then kind of the reverse of that, geranium brocade fire. Fire to me actually refers to two bits of this. The flower is like a, a fiery red but also the leaf on this one has that dark coloration in the middle of the leaf kind of shooting out, kind of like flame, to the outside of the leaf, and then the outside of the leaf is a lighter, bright green. So brocade cherry night geranium and brocade fire geranium are our two winners that are propagated from vegetative cuttings. Wow. And they survive even here in the south? Uh, they were trialed there, so they must have, yes. <laughs> they, were, they are national winners. So when they're national winners, that means that the majority of judges gave them very high scores. That's good to know. I will get in touch with the people that I know that are doing some trial gardens and find out how they did because I yeah. love geraniums. I grew up with yeah. geraniums. My mother had geraniums and my grandmother had geraniums, and in the winter the Plants would get knocked out of their pots and hung upside down um, in the in the oh, yeah. basement, and you know we'd grow them for years and years and years. And I, of course, you know when I moved south, I tried growing geraniums, and I uh, discovered that they really don't like it here. Though they survive on the, like the north side of the house, they're just not mm-hmm. the same as they were. So I'm yeah. really anxious to try that. And you know, so tell me what else is new. Okay. Um, let's see. We have a lot of vegetables or edibles. And the funny story about why we are now calling, internally we call them edibles. Um, on our website it still says vegetable award winner. But one time I was announcing the winners and writing the press release, and we had a tomato and a melon and a watermelon. And I thought, I can't call these vegetables. Everybody's going to call me on the carpet for that. <laughs> So we we quite often call it the edible trial. Um, So the the terms are kind of interchangeable here. But reflecting that trend of not all of our winners being vegetables, we have our very first strawberry that is an AF winner. And this one is called Delize. It's a a trade name, D-E-L-I-Z-Z. And it's a very vigorous strawberry plant that is just as beautiful as it is productive with the strawberries. So this one has some really pretty flowers on them before they turn, you know, turn into the strawberries. They're white. So a lot of times right now I hear people talking about dual-purpose plants. Mm-hmm. These, these strawberries can be ornamentals as well as used for production. But they come from seed. That's great because until now, most of the seed stuff has been alpine strawberries with, mm-hmm. you know, fairly small flowers and fairly small fruit. So, what's the fruit side on Delise? The fruit size yes. is um, I'm trying to picture it with my fingers. About an inch and a half. I was um, I was looking at them in trial, so I'm, I'm going to say about an inch and a half, uh, point a little bit less than an ounce. So they're not tiny. They're a good decent That's size. A- yeah, and if they taste good, that's wonderful because, you know, strawberries, I don't know if the rest of the country has the problem, but we have a lot of strawberry diseases, and, you know, back in the olden days, we'd plant the mother plant, and it would grow, and then you'd, you know, 
gets leaves the runners to grow and take out the mother plant in the center. But lately, we've had so, so much disease pressure in the area that they're not really very perennial anymore in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. The uh, the breeder was um, explaining a lot of that now and how with the runners and then you start to uh, kind of lose the vigor of the plant and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's why he was so thrilled to enter this and was proven how well it did. Um, yeah, so we'll have to look for Delise strawberries on the market. That sounds wonderful. And how long does it take to produce Oh, let me, I, I don't have that at the top of my head, but we have all that on our website. Days to harvest from sowing seed is 120 days. If you start them indoors and transplant, it's 60 days. Okay, so they just start them indoors like they do peppers about that oh, yeah. same time mm-hmm. then. Right. Yeah, because peppers take a fairly long time to, to grow inside longer than the tomatoes. That sounds and like a wonderful will, thing. Will, I can't wait to try it. Yeah, these will produce uh, throughout the summer. So it's not just a, a one flush. They will continue to produce. And does it grow in a bush form, or does it send out runners? Do you know? It will eventually send out runners. Okay. That, that's a wonderful thing to know. Now, tell me what, what else you have in there, in your edibles. Okay. Oh, it's, it's so hard to decide which one to talk about first. Um, <laughs> how about a Chef's Choice Green? And part of the reason I like this is because it's a series, and in vegetables, quite often you don't see series. But we now have a Chef's Choice Orange, a Chef's Choice Pink, and now a Chef's Choice Green, all in this line of tomatoes that we have. So they're all beefsteak tomatoes. They just have wonderful acidity and sweetness and the different coloration. Um, And so this one would be really good used in fried green tomatoes you know, whatever during the summer. Instead of just doing it at the fall when you're trying to use up your green tomatoes that haven't ripened, uh-huh. this one would be excellent for that. And and I just like these because these new vegetables that we have as AS winners are just fitting onto this foodie trend that's going on. You know, everybody wants something different, and you can't necessarily find different at your supermarket or farmer's market, so grow your own, and you can have bragging rights. Yes, definitely. And I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm a... I guess I probably love tomatoes more than anything else. But, again, disease pressure here has been so bad. Our weather has been so bad. Even mostly, all, it seems like most all up and down the, the East Coast has had problems with late blight. And so I can't wait to see how these, I assume that these were bred with some disease resistance or they wouldn't be, be winners. And the jasper seed that you sent me last year that you said had compared with um, Juliet, it's yes. much better flavored than Juliet. But the biggest thing is I had late blight at the wazoo last year, and I read on a little blurb that jasper is late blight resistant. Right. And so I planted, I was going to give this thing, you know, the real trial, and I put that plant right smack in the middle, surrounded by other plants with with late blight, and it didn't get late blight. It was wonderful. Yes, yeah, and and you know a lot of these newer AS winners, the varieties and everything. What what the breeders are doing 
and I, and I don't want to, you know, cross the wrong track here, but what they're doing is they're taking heirloom varieties and improving them. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with heirlooms. I completely believe in them. And we've got AS winners that are heirlooms, and they're wonderful. You know, you've got the flavor and the variety. But I think what we're seeing today is we're seeing that the breeders recognize that what we're growing in our garden today, we're growing it because we want it to taste good. You know, we don't like the mm-hmm. cardboard tomatoes we have to buy in the supermarket. So a lot of these are basically improvements or using heirlooms as one of the original parent sources. So you're getting all the good stuff from the heirloom, but you're getting all the improvements with modern-day breeding, meaning disease resistance, or, or maybe it grows more compactly so that people like me who have a small garden can grow them, whereas you know, maybe it couldn't previously because it took up too much space. That's a good thing to know. Now, is are these? You said these are Champion series, Orange Champion. No, it's a Chef's Choice. Chef, okay, Chef's Choice. Yeah, and so this is are the these third all, color. Are these compact varieties, or are they fairly tall? Oh, these are still fairly tall. I'm looking for the height. Um, yeah, they're they're still. I, I had to stake them pretty much this year. I had a tomato cage, and they still grew about two feet above my tomato cage, so I need to get something a little bit larger. So I'm going to say they're around 36 to 40 inches tall, and, and they're big, so, you know, you need to give them the support, okay. especially once they put a heavy tomato on that <laughs> they start to well, sure. You get a few a few heavy fruits on there, and it just weights right. it down. But I'm, I'm really I'm amused that you said that, 35, 40 inches is tall because <laughs> for me, for anything that's, you know, most of the heirlooms that I grow, of course, are, are much, much bigger. They will go over the top of a five-foot uh, concrete fencing, you know, reinforcing wire cage and yeah, grow up yeah. over that and then fall down the other side. So, And you probably found that with Jasper. I mean, I love Jasper, but yes. you have to make sure you have a lot of height for Jasper because it, it, mine got about six feet tall. I'm not sure about yours. Well, mine got up to the top of the cage that I had it in, um, the support that I had it in, and fell over. So it it probably went maybe six feet or so. Yeah, yeah. It just kind of sprawled, and it just kind of gently laid down on top of some other things. Um, (laughs) As long as it continued to produce, that's okay. You can lay down wherever it wants to. I just picked my last last few um, this week. Well, last week, because we just had our hard, first hard freeze tonight. We had a little bit of frost um, earlier last week, but then we just got a really hard freeze tonight. So that's the end of all of my tomatoes for the year. Oh, I can't, yeah, yeah. Believe it. We're going to have to take another quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk more about this year's AAS winners and some other things that are new on the website. We'll be right back after this. I'm Pat Rulo, hostess of Speak Up and Stay Alive, Patient Safety Radio, heard on America's Web Radio every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. Now you and your loved ones can stay safe from little-known health care and hospital hazards. Join me Thursdays at 9 a.m. or listen to my podcasts on americaswebradio.com. For more information, visit speakupandstayalive.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm talking today with Diane Blazik, who is the Executive Director of All America Selections, and we are talking All America's winners for this year. Okay, let's see. We talked about some tomatoes, the Chef's Choice line. What else do we have for this year? Let's keep talking about food. Why not? Um, sure. It's always good to talk about food, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a couple other things. I mentioned that the strawberry was the first ever strawberry that we had had. Well, we mm-hmm. also have a Japanese mustard called a Mizuna, and the name of it is Red Kingdom. So it's a mild-tasting Japanese mustard. It's it's as decorative as it is flavorful. So, again, you want bragging rights. You want something different. You want something beautiful that adds something different to your salads. Um, and so that one is called Red Kingdom Japanese Mustard. And how hot is it? You say that it's mild, but I've grown some that are supposed to be mild, and, and you might as well be biting into a hot pepper. Whoa, yeah. No, this one is – they. Time and time again, they said that how mild flavor it is. Now, again, if you harvest it kind of as a baby green, it's going to be more mild than it is if you leave it. They did mention the holding ability. I'm interpreting that to mean that if you don't harvest it right away, it's not going to get so hot and bitter. Oh, well, that would be a good thing. Because sometimes you want some red in your salad and sometimes you don't. I wonder what that would pair up with in in a garden container or something. Oh, you're right. It would be pretty to use it as the red. I'll have to think about that. That's something we've been thinking about doing on our website is pairing up different AS winners in a combo container. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll have to try that and use that with something. Um, I've already always grown giant red mustard as a fall crop and put them with pansies so that might be oh for that, people that with cool climates yeah and yeah. Uh, and you know because you get the height of the red mustard and then you get the you know and, and the color the big red color and then you pair it with pansies or little violas and it can be a spectacular combination Mm-hmm. now this okay. one is a shorter so it's only about 10 inches tall so, but you could put it right in the front as a little focal point that would be good yeah, or you could just use it with things that are smaller than that, or, or you know, let cucumbers drape over the edge or something. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would like, I would like to see some container variety. You know, because so many people now are gardening in containers. They're gardening on their balcony or in on their patio, and they don't have as much space as we who used to garden. You know, in 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 close to an acre. Okay, so we've got the mustard that's about ten inches tall. What else do we have this year? We have a bunching onion or a green onion, you know, um, with AS. We've had some of the bulb onions as AS winners. We've never had a green onion. So this one is called Warrior. Now, this is another regional award winner. So this one is in the southeast for you as well as the mountain southwest area. So definitely the lower half of the United States would do well with this green onion. Um, Very consistent, very mild, you know, great raw, great grilled. So um, that one will definitely, it is available. In fact, we announced that one about six months ago, but uh, it should be easily found in seed packets and mail order. Good. That sounds like another fun one to try because, um, now, I've never heard of grilling a green onion. I've grilled, you know, we grill Vidalia onions all the time. Mm-hmm. But does, um, how, big do, how big around does it get? 
Not, oh, let me look at the exact. Um, again, I'm trying to use my fingers, and that doesn't work on radio. <laughs> you know, about quarter inch, maybe a little bit bigger around. You know, okay, so you'd have to you'd have to use it on a grill pan rather than just you know smack yeah. on the grill. Okay, right, that, right, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. That makes sense. Do you have anything? Do we have any other vegetables for this year or fruits? We do. There's there's two red peppers that are very similar. They're both national winners. One is called Cornito Giallo, and one is called Escamillo. So they're both sweet yellow peppers. It's just that one um, is a little bit smaller. The Cornito Giallo is a smaller yellow pepper. The Escamillo is is like a larger, like a bullhorn. We were talking about Carmen pepper earlier. Well, this mm-hmm. one is a yellow one um, that's a lot like Carmen in, in size and, you know, thick-walled, very sweet. So we like that we have two yellow peppers at the same time. Now, is a, is a cornito also thick-walled, or is it kind of more like a, a, a frying pepper? Let's see here. Their recommendation on this one, yes, that it's uh, thicker-walled and Early bloomer, uh, you can eat them fresh, you can stuff them. What else? Somebody else said that they grilled them. Fruity flavor. Oh, how fun. I look forward to that one. I wasn't, you know, I had said that I wasn't going to grow anything but Carmen next year. I think I may have to change my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we always do that? (laughs) Carmen is such a wonderful pepper, though. I can't tell anybody, I can't say how wonderful it is because I've grown lots and lots of different kinds of peppers over the year and Carmen is so sweet when it's red and it gets red quickly and then it doesn't stop producing like a lot of peppers once they throw a couple of mature red ones they just quit yeah and this yeah. one doesn't do that it I've still got one I just it was so pretty I just dragged it down to the greenhouse and and threw it in so that we'll have peppers all winter again like we did last year well, guess what? We have something new on our website. We have cooking videos, and Carmen is one of the peppers we used for a cooking video. Yeah, tell me about these videos, because I just spotted them uh, today, and I, I spent a fair amount of time on your website over the years. So tell me how they came about. Well, you know, it's all about foodies these days you know everybody wants to try something different be something different food network is huge cooking channel is huge so we are working with a he doesn't call himself a chef he calls himself a cook and storyteller and he's out of washington dc i've known him for years because he's been in the industry and so we contracted with him to create five new recipes all using various aas winners So we just put them on our website last week. We've just announced them. The whole idea is we want people to use the. I mean, if there's a blogger, they can put these peppers on their website. If there's a retailer who's selling AF winners, they can, you know, put these videos on a loop and show them in their garden center. Maybe they want to have a cooking gardening demonstration. Maybe a master gardener wants to do this. The the videos are there for people to use. So with uh, Carmen Pepper, we have a caponata salad that he's made with those. We talked about that chef's choice green tomato. Well, mm-hmm. he used the orange version in a gazpacho. Then fairy tale eggplant, which was the winner quite a few years ago, maybe about 10 years ago, he made um, eggplant fries out of it. 
And then he made a warm tomato sauce uh, with Fantastico, which Julie, um, yeah, Juliet and Jasper could also be used. And the last video is um, a green bean with a roasted tomato sauce made with mascot beans. I have a recipe for mascot beans. They were so good this year, and they hold so long so that, you know, at the same size. So even if you don't have a lot of them in your container, you can really get a really good harvest. But the recipe that I do is simple. You smash a garlic, couple of garlic cloves, and you take the husks off of them, and you throw them in a pan with some chicken broth, and you cook that a little bit, and then you throw the beans in and cook them just until they're tender and oh, throw in a bunch good. of butter. And it's just absolutely incredible, and it's so easy. It is. That does sound easy. That's wonderful. You know, you don't have to fuss at all. I'm I'm big on easy these days. You know, I, occasionally I like to cook, you know, big fancy things like Chinese food or something. Well, that's not fancy, but it's, you know, fairly involved. But if it's easy, that I like. Now tell me about yes. the chef, the cook. Oh, Jonathan Bardzik. Um, he, like I said, is from Washington, D.C., and he has been giving demonstrations at one of the farmer's markets in D.C., and he's just such a storyteller. He's gregarious. He's easygoing. He's inventive and creative. So he must just have a crowd surrounding his demonstrations every weekend. And he started this about four years ago. And since then, he has published two cookbooks. And I think another one is, even though he just released a new one last week, it's called uh, Seasons to Taste. And that's taking advantage of the seasonality of produce from your garden. And Oh, the book is amazing. And it just goes from season to season, you know, in the spring, in the summer, in the fall, in the winter, and gives all kinds of really good recipes. And what I like so much is that he tells stories along with this. So as you read through the cookbook, there's a little sidebar on him growing up in a garden center and at a nursery and, you know, what, how he got started cooking and his first job where he had to buy herbs and how he learned about all the different flavor profiles of herbs that way. And so he's actually working for a grower um, not far from D.C. as their spokesman for their line of, of herbs. How fun. How fun. I will, have to, I will have to look for him, and I will have to watch the videos, too, um, and, and look for the book because I yep. love stories like that. I like to his, sit down with a cookbook and read it like a book, not just, And that's, you know. that's exactly what his is. Yeah, it's jonathanbardzik.com is his website, and the books are available there, and you can learn more about him. Okay, I will put this put these websites of course on our Facebook page for everybody and if anyone has a question they can email me through my website which is mrsgreenthumb.com or through America's Web Radio and we'll get the questions answered and if you miss something on here I will have this and I noticed that you had something else wonderful on your website. You mentioned the videos, but you also have a slideshow with all of this year's AAS winners. We do, yes, yes. That always pops up when you go to our page about AES winners. But I'll mention something else that we do when it comes to slideshows. Slide uh, we have a website called SlideShare, and that's linkable from our homepage. 
If there's ever anybody out there who wants to give a presentation about new varieties, we've done the work for you. So you can go and download a, a slideshow presentation, and we have it by year. We have the 2015 AS winners, and we have the 2016 AS winners, and we're always updating that. So that's just something else we do because we know that there's a lot of garden communicators, extension agents, master gardeners, garden centers that maybe need this information and not sure how to go about it, and we're trying to make it easy for you. I will let all of our master gardeners know, because I know a lot of them. We used to get canned presentations from the university. Well, they still are available, but they don't have the new stuff. And every year I look forward, because AAS would send slides, you know, back in the days when there were actually film. And I look forward to my packet of slides so that I could make up a new um, new slideshow for for the audience. So that is wonderful, not having yeah, to reinvent you. the wheel. Right, right. That's what we said is well, instead of sending out slides, uh, you know, there, technology today is wonderful. It makes things so easy when it works, um, and this <laughs> seems to work pretty well. So we make a PowerPoint, and we put it up there, and there's no restrictions. You just, you know, can download it and use it to spread the word. That is wonderful information, and, of course, I will put that link up on our website, on our Facebook page, too. We have to take a little break pretty soon, but when we come back, AAS and National Garden Bureau are into something else that's really big on everybody's minds, and that's pollinators. So we'll come back right after this. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. For years, Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center has been providing outstanding care to patients of all ages. They are dedicated to patient satisfaction and have been the recipient of the Georgia Otolaryngology Association Patient Satisfaction Award. They welcome any questions you may have about their services. Their practice includes treatment of asthma, allergies, sleep apnea, snoring, hearing impairments, and chronic sinus disease. Dr. Elena George is a board-certified ear, nose, and throat surgeon. Her training in New York has included training at Manhattan Eye, Ear, and Throat Hospital and Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. She believes in practicing both the art and science of medicine. All patients are seen by Dr. George. All treatment options are discussed, and time will be spent to answer all questions. Their office is located in Atlanta at 1776 Peachtree Road in Suite 260 North Tower, two blocks south of Piedmont Hospital. They are open Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. until 4 p.m. Additional details are available at www.peachtreeent.com. Center.com. At Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center, you can be confident that you are in good hands with their professional team. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. This is America's Web Radio.com. 
the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and today I'm talking to Diane Blazik, who is the Executive Director of the All-America Selections and also the National Gardening Bureau. And those are kind of sister organizations, are they? Yes, they are. We, we're two separate 501C organizations, but we work very closely together. Um, NGB is, is a membership-based organization, so we consider All-America Selections to be a member of National Garden Bureau, and uh, so they help us promote our new AF winners as new varieties. And they do some product information, too, I noticed. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I would say our three main programs with National Garden Bureau are new varieties and then our year of, which is where we focus on a certain class of plants and, you know, we produce the varieties, et cetera. And then we also have garden products, which is, um, you know, industry speak is our hard goods. So, in other words, tools and books and decor that you use in your garden. And the National Garden Bureau sends out um, little publications, newsletters, uh, it's either paper or online, and I've gotten those for years, along with the slides from from the AAS winners. And what can, how can people get those if they're say doing a community newsletter or a, a local newspaper? Oh, we would love for you to sign up. Um, you can get to our sign-up link either by going to National Garden Bureau's website, which is ngb.org, or you can go to the All America, All America Selections website, which is all-americaselections.org, and you'll see a little, like, white envelope uh, on the AAS website, so sign up here for the NGB Garden Newsletter or on the NGB site, um, look for the thing that says Hot News, join our e-newsletter. On our Facebook page, one of the uh, links there says sign up for our e-newsletter. So, yeah, easy to do. We send out about 20 per year, and it's various information um, about new varieties. We do a lot of work with our Year of program, which I can tell you are 26 year of crops, we pick one perennial. So for 2016, that's the delphinium. And then we pick an annual, and that's begonia. Um, our edible is the carrot. And then we just started something new by featuring a bulb crop. And so for 2016, it's the ornamental allium. Ah, okay. So this is the year of the carrot. How did you choose yeah. carrots for the year, the vegetable of the year? Well, for all categories, we look at the classes that have had a lot of new breeding work, um, are easy to grow, have a lot of diversity, and so in all of those cases, that's what the board looks at, and um, that's how we choose them. So we thought, well, carrots, there's certainly a wide range of carrots. There's different types of carrots, different colors. They're certainly easy to grow. Um, they're in favor, general public, because they taste good and they're very healthy, good for you. So we decided, why not? 
and by the way, we were talking about Jonathan Barzik. We also have a video for Year of Carrot where he talks about that and presents a, uh, a recipe on a carrot slaw. Cool. So you've got every, all the bases covered. You've got the slideshows. You've got the videos of the recipes. You've got the... Um, you got the year of, and, and you promote all that with the newsletter. Exactly, yes. It all, and we have, very active on social media. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Pinterest especially. That's, that's probably my favorite social media site. Really? Yes. You like showing cool pictures? Yes, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done much with Pinterest, but, but, yeah, especially for pictures of flowers and vegetables. It's nice to be able to look at them and, and kind of decide what you like and, and go get it and grow it yourself. Right. Now, you're doing something else. National Garden Bureau has a link to a website about pollinators, and we've been talking a lot about pollinators this year because we've lost so many. So right. tell us about that. Well, this is um, the project or the program is called the Million Pollinator Garden Challenge. And I think this started about a year and a half, two years ago, where different, you know, those of us in the organization realm um, talk a lot. And so we started talking with a couple different organizations and then started getting connecting. And what we realized um, a, a shared passion we all had is what was happening with pollinators. And we know that there's a decline in pollinators. We know that there's a decline in pollinator habitat. And so we wanted to do something collective that would hopefully start to reverse that. And it's all about the pollinator habitat. So how do we get more habitat for pollinators? Well, we have to plant the right kind of things for these pollinators. So we formed this collaboration, which is the uh, National Pollinator Garden Network. And so we have a website, millionpollinatorgardens.org. And our goal is to get one million pollinator gardens planted by the end of December 2016. And so we're working with National Wildlife Federation, Pollinator Partnership, KidsGardening.org, um, a lot of those people have come together as the originating partners, and then there's also a lot of government organizations that are supporting this. So it's, it's, it's really simple. I mean, what we're trying to do is say, please plant pollinator-friendly plants and then go register your garden on this website. And don't use insecticides on them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. sure that there's some information material on there about how to how to protect these pollinators too that we've we've worked so hard to grow. And now, when you talk about gardens, it doesn't have to be a big garden, does it? No, no, it doesn't. I mean, you know, you, you could take one little container or window box, and if you plant it with with the plants that are going to provide pollen and nectar and everything, you are going to see um, some of these little beauties coming to your garden, even if it's only a small space. So, you know, especially if you're in an urban area, if if you're in high rises, you know, Put a pot of salvia or echinacea or zinnias out, out on your balcony or put them in a window box or go up on your green roof or build a green roof or something because um, no matter where you are, there's pollinators, and they're very important to our food supply. 
And that's something else that we realized um, is an opportunity and part of a talking point. Everybody's into edible gardening now. Well, you have to realize that if you have things like melons and cucumbers, you're not going to have them unless you have pollinators. So it's important to remember to plant um, some, some ornamentals that will attract pollinators near your vegetable garden so that once these flowers bloom, they'll get pollinated and you'll have your fruits on them. That's a good point. And it's really especially important to have provide for pollinators in an urban environment because, you know, they've got a long way to fly if you don't help them out. Exactly. You know, from yeah. one end of the city to another. That, right. That's quite a bit. Of, that's quite a bit. Now you mentioned salvia is pollinator friendly, and you sent me some seeds for salvia early this spring. And I got to tell you, they bloomed and they bloomed and they bloomed, and they're solid as a rock. And they, they even are. took a little light frost. The yeah. heavy frost killed them, but the, they went through the light frost, and the hummingbirds were just fighting themselves for it. That's that's what we really noticed was the hummingbirds around them and the bees too. But yeah, it's it's called the Summer Jewel series. So this is another series of AAS winners where we have four different colors. Yes, they're annuals. They're they're more compact than the perennial versions. But we have red, pink, white, and now lavender is just our newest winner. So there's four colors in the series. You know, if you want to go monochromatic, that's fine. If you want to plant them all, but yeah, the the Bees and hummingbirds really loved these. They were they were very very busy. And what, a lot of other plants are good for pollinators. What else do you have? Yeah, it, and and there's a lot of good information on millionpollinatorgardens.org. There are a lot of different links on there, but we just put together like a little set of pollinator-friendly AAS winners. So the salvias are part of them. The the zinnias, especially the the single zinnias, are really good for that. Echinaceas. We've got that beautiful Cheyenne spirit mix, and we've got powwow wild berry, which is great. We've got gallardias that are AS winners. Arizona sun is one of them. Um, there's some of the herbs that bloom. We've got um, Cleopatra oregano and Persian basil. Once they bloom, you know, the bees are all over that. So, yeah, there are definitely um, a whole grouping of AS winners that are pollinator friendly. That's a good thing for, for people to know. And now, are you going to be encouraging garden centers to package these all together for pollinators or or has anything been done that way or do people have to pick them out individually? Well, we did do a package of pollinator-friendly AES winners, but I have to say I'm very proud of a lot of the garden centers. Um, the tags that come from the tag manufacturers usually have a little marking on it if they're pollinator-friendly, and we have noticed that there are a large number of garden centers that um, are doing a great job educating the public. Like, they're having webinars, and they are putting signs up, you know, these are for hummingbirds, these are for monarchs, these are for bees, and, you know, the various uh, plants. So I think they've really raised their awareness level. I mean, they're, they're our key. They're, they're our key from the industry getting to the public and educating them about the importance. I mean, we've heard so much lately about milkweed, you know, planting milkweed for the mm -hmm. monarchs. So 
I, I think a lot of people are doing a lot of really good things. I mean, our purpose really is, yes, you're planting, and we also want you to register. You know, it's, it's great to plant. That's the most important thing. But registering this will help us raise more awareness, uh, you know, nat- nationally, even among non-gardeners. So we can say, we planted a million new gardeners, and, you know, here's what we did to help preserve the habitat. That sounds like a wonderful project, and the more we get people gardening, the happier we will be, and the happier the wildlife will be. Exactly. And, you know, I think a lot of people sometimes get frustrated because they think, well, I'm just one person, what can I do? But one person really can make a difference. That's exactly what I said in one of my newsletters. It's it's just the little things you can do, but it makes a difference. You know, if you're the only person on your block, well, at least you're the person on the block that will have these pollinators able to collect their food, and, you know, they won't have to fly as far. And Yeah, so I, I emphasize that all the time is don't think that just because you're one person you're not going to make a difference because you will. That's great. And I want to remind people that I'm going to put all of this information up on our Facebook page so you can just go go to America's Homegrown Veggies and click on it. And I will even put a link to the slideshow so that we can talk. About, you can see what Diane and I were talking about this this year's winners. Diane, thank you so much again for being with us. I hope that people will look for the All-America selections. And especially if you are growing in a region where it's difficult to grow, look for some of those regional winners. There are some outstanding plants there. Right. Yes. Thank you so much. It's always fun to be on. Well, I hope we can do it again sometime. There's always next year when new winners come out, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. That's all the time we have for today, but we'll be back talking more gardening next week on America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I hope you'll join us.